Good morning. This is your second Wednesday of the month host, Thaddeus Romanski. You're listening to Red Sea Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio. You might be catching us on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. Perhaps you're listening to us on our website, redsearadio.org, or on our handy iPhone or Android app. However you're listening, we're glad you're along. This is Wednesday, June 13th, and it happens to be the feast day of St. Henry, Henry II, Holy Roman Emperor. You might not know a whole lot about Henry, but let me educate you a little bit. He was born in 972. He was the son of a German duke and a princess of the territory of Burgundy, kind of on the um, border between what's now France and Germany. He became German emperor in 1002, Holy Roman Emperor in 1014. Now, at that time, the emperor still had a great deal of power in the church, could influence affairs in the church. Perhaps you remember from some of your high school or college history classes, the Holy Roman, Roman Empire uh, kind of arose out of the ashes of the Roman Empire. Charlemagne was the first Holy Roman Emperor. He was crowned by the Pope on Christmas Day of the year 800. And the Holy Roman Empire uh, basically encompassed what is today Germany and then some of the surrounding modern-day states. And it was a kind of a confederation of smaller um, territories. And the Holy Roman Emperor was its leader, and he he had the 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 power. One of the powers that he had was to invest bishops, Catholic bishops, with their civil authority, uh, because some bishops were landowners, some bishops were lords uh, who had vassals uh, under them who owed them service or owed them and owed them loyalty. Uh, so a lot of intertwining of the of the church and the state there in the Holy Roman Empire during the, the first millennium. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm painting with, with broad brushstrokes, uh, but suffice it to say, as you might expect, not always was the person who was uh, the Holy Roman Emperor a moral, upright, statesman type. Sometimes he saw his, uh, his interest as Holy Roman Emperor in opposition to the interests of the church, but not so with St. Henry. Uh, he, he intervened in church affairs prudently, never grasping for more power, never trying to reduce the proper role of the church uh, in, in favor of advancing his own. And he used this substantial fortune that he had as a 
as a nobleman, as the son of a duke and a princess, to build monasteries. And he gave away money to establish dioceses in several areas of the empire that uh, did not have the ecclesial organization that they needed. And he did this over uh, some of his relatives and family who, you know, as you might expect, said, no, that's a, you're wasting money. You're throwing away your fortune and it should be used to build up the empire, build up the civil structure. All throughout his life, he encouraged and supported church reforms of priestly life, and he encouraged vocations. Uh, he died in 1024, and his wife is also revered as a saint, Saint Cunigund. So that is our saint of the day, Saint Henry the second Holy Roman Emperor, and we ask St. Henry's intercession especially for our civil leaders, that they act prudently, that they act with the, the interest and the good of the church in mind and never try to reduce the church to uh, servitude in interests of, of the interests of the state. If there was ever a, a model needed for today, I, I think St. Henry would be it, huh? Yeah, well, that's interesting you, you say that, Dennis, because the, the mm. next story I wanted to go to was a very disturbing story. Uh, Hit got, me with it. Got this from the pillarcatholic.com. Highly recommend you subscribe to their their substack. You can go to pillarcatholic, P-I-L-L-A-R, catholic.com. Excellent reporting there from Ed Condon and J.D. Flynn. Uh, but this comes out of Bethesda, Maryland, July 10th, uh, at St. Jane Frances de Chantal Parish, parish there in Bethesda, outside of uh, Washington, D.C. In fact, it's in the Archdiocese of Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, a report from the, the pastor of that parish, quote, Last night, our church was vandalized. Oh, goodness. People broke in. They overturned statues. They tore down the stations of the cross. They desecrated the tabernacle. They tried to set the church on fire. Mm. This was last night? This was July 10th. Okay. Over the weekend. Okay. The pastor went on to say, quote, I believe that this is because of the church's stand on the issue of life, when it begins, and that it should be protected, and that this is one of the manifestations of the deep divisions right now within our country, that there are those who believe that we do not have even the right to practice our faith. So I'm sorry to share this news with you. However, this is the important thing to remember. However, we are the church. We are the living stones. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones who have been nourished by God, consecrated by God. We are the ones whom God has called to be the light of the earth to the world, the salt of the earth. And then he, he went on to quote from St. Paul, Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all these things, we are like conquerors because of him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we we hear about that all the way across the country of this desecration of a place of worship, a Catholic church, the material items that we use in our faith to worship God, to practice our faith, to exercise our practice of our faith, right? Destroyed. I bring this up because we need to pray and we need to press our officials to persecute this kind to to prosecute this kind of persecution. <laughs> this is persecution that yeah. we're facing. Our brothers and sisters in Maryland are being persecuted for their faith, and we know that we will be persecuted and we should expect persecution and we need to prepare ourselves mm-hmm. spiritually and physically for persecution. Thanks be to God, we don't, not yet, haven't experienced something like this in the listening areas of the Red Sea family, but we don't know what the future could bring, specifically speaking. Um, But we need to to pray and send our good good, uh, intentions to our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Likewise, across the world in Nigeria, sure. right? There are people who are being, priests being killed, churches being attacked, Catholics being killed for their faith because of what our Lord teaches and has taught and has endowed his church to proclaim. And we need, we pray for leaders in the mold of Henry II. Mm-hmm. We need to be those leaders. We need to be them locally, and we need to join together with our voices and uh, take a stand against the forces of evil. You know, St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. We need to uh, go to battle, and let's do this, folks. Um, We can do this. We can join, but be not afraid, as uh, Pope John Paul II has said so often in his pontificate. We, We need to not be afraid of of losing our lives or being persecuted, we need to take that stand necessary. So now's the time. We don't necessarily have to wait until it comes to our local community. We can be proactive and we can take a stand in defense before things happen. Even yeah, and I think I think uh, deacons or or priests in our listening area who might be listening this morning, you know, we want to want to encourage you to preach to us about persecution. Preach to us about expecting persecution. Strengthen us from the pulpit, from letters in your bulletins uh, about about persecution and that we need to be preparing, be prepared to, to face that. We don't, we don't look forward to it. We don't hope to experience it, but to be prepared uh, that that 
that that may well happen if we're going to proclaim the truth uh, loudly and faithfully. Mm-hmm. But we also hope, as an apostolate, we think that we're trying to do things to form community, strengthen community, make community thicker here in our listening areas. And one of those ways is with our family retreat coming up in Waco. Yeah. July 30th, it's coming up around the corner. So if you haven't signed up, you don't have to be from the central Texas area to to go. You could be from Palestine or here in the Brazos Valley where our studio is located. We've had people travel from Waco to our retreat here locally in the past. So let's bring some people up from the Bryan College Station uh, area. It's at St. Louis Catholic Church on Saturday, July 30th. You can go to our website and click on the Together banner as it floats up. And uh, it's going to be a great opportunity to to stand together with your family uh, and uh, other like-minded Catholics. Yeah, and there's going to be a, a youth a youth and children track, and there's going to be an adult track. And then at the end of the day, about 4.30 when the retreat ends, uh, there's going to be child care available so that uh, husbands and wives can go off and have a little um, evening for a few hours together to to reflect on what they've learned and just spend time together as a couple. So if you go to our website, redcradio.org forward slash retreat, you can find out all the information about that. It's only $30 for the whole family, which includes meals throughout the day. So li- listen, folks, we're taking a hit on this. We don't want you to on your budget. We want this to be able to be a great opportunity for your family to come together to learn about praying together, playing together, and being on mission together. And speaking of playing together, don't forget, signups for Victory Sports are open now. That's mm-hmm. our youth sports initiative. It's starting here in the Brazos Valley. Go to victoryyouthsports.org to sign up. And on the other side of the break, we're going to have Dr. Tim Logan, who is in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences. He's going to talk about the intersection between science and faith and living as a Catholic. Tim's amazing. Stay tuned for that, folks. He's he's a great guy. I'm so excited about having him in the studio. We'll be back. All right. Well, welcome back. We are here in the Red Sea Radio studios atop St. Mary's Catholic Center. We're looking out at the beautiful, well, imposing, let's say, construction of the the new church. It's soon to be beautiful. It's not terribly beautiful right now, but it's certainly impressive. It's beautiful to me. You know what else is beautiful is those guys literally toasting away in 100-degree heat on top of that dome area. These guys are hard workers. So. Talk about self-sacrifice. Oh, my gosh. Yep. It's amazing. Thank you to them, and prayers to them and their families for, for doing this work. Like I said, you're listening to Red Sea Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio. Uh, you might be catching us on KDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. We also always encourage you to 
Get that app on your iPhone or your Android device. You can listen to us anywhere, even if you're traveling outside of our listening area. You can call in today. We're live in the studio, 85 Love Red Sea, 855-683-7332. And I'm very pleased to have in the studio with us today Dr. Tim Logan of the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at Texas A&M. Did I get that right, you, you Tim? Got that, you got that excellent. Great. You are a pr- permanent parishioner here at St. Mary's Catholic Center. Thanks for coming on Red Sea Roundup. Thank, thank you for having me. It, it's, it's also great to see them. Ba- it's a, almost like they're baking a cake outside. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we get to see the, the, the cake being made every step of the way from our, from our studio. It's really awesome. Um, so when I called Tim earlier in the week to have a little pre-conversation, he told me, okay, I can try to talk to you, but I'm also busy photographing lightning. And I thought, wow, that is really exciting. Uh, It gave me a a real appreciation for maybe your passion for your, um, your, the work that you do in atmospheric sciences, or maybe a, a little window onto your, onto the work that you do. Talk to me about photographing lightning. Why were you doing it? The passion around it that you told me you expressed to me. We're just finishing up a large uh, field campaign over Houston, at least the part that I'm doing at A&M, which includes running the lightning network that surrounds Houston and has coverage over most of Southeast Texas. And storms are really hard to come by, uh, as you guys know, these yeah. last uh, few weeks. And there was an opportunity to to go up and film a storm off by Snook, I guess, west of town. And then, and then, yeah, you called, and it's like, oh no! All right, how can I do like three things at once? I had cameras <laughs> running, students were up there too. So, but you know, we we try to make it work. You try to fit everything in. And you were on top of the atmospheric sciences building at A and M. Is that where you were? Yes, we have an observatory that um, it's sheltered, so you don't really have to be outside. Um, you get the best pictures when you're outside, but I was inside. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I had I had a couple of cameras uh, running at okay. that point. Yeah. Okay, so. <clears throat> Tell us about your uh, your journey into atmospheric sciences. How did you how did you become a uh, a, stu- a student and then later a, a professor of that? Um, it, tell me about that. It's one of those things that um, and a lot of people that go into either meteorology or atmospheric science have a common theme that there was something that happened during their childhood. Um, or maybe along the way to adulthood that they had some experience that really, you know, shook them to their core. And it was something that they wanted to learn more about. So that's basically in my, uh, when I was growing up, Hmm. uh, the family had been hit by a derecho. And that's something that's been a lot in in the news. So, you know, it's just a really strong wind event with thunder, lightning, things like that. It mimics a tornado, but not actually a tornado. Okay. And that's really when I knew that I wanted to study weather, but I didn't go directly into it. Um, I had a crazy fear of lightning as, as a kid, huh. and, and it's you know it's just so funny. I think that I would always you think back to that that I would hide under the bed, and yeah. you know my grandmother would tell me, "Oh, it's just God's work that's going on." You know, yeah. don't don't talk on the phone or don't be by the window. So she'd give me safety advice, but <laughs> I was already hide, hiding under the mattress. You right, know? So, right. But um, yeah, that that event, and um, and I, I just remember the date because I looked it up, and you know, back in 1980, 
But it it was a roundabout way to get into atmospheric science. I mean, I didn't go just straight in. What an amazing story to hear that you were afraid of lightning as a child, and now here you are giddy about getting a chance to photograph lightning. Oh, yeah. as it, I mean, <laughs> it can strike a foot away, a mile away, as long as, you know, I can get some data on it. Um, yeah. that, that's, uh, but it's just the science behind it. People are still studying, you know, how it works. Um, we're getting closer each, you know, year, but there's still a lot. There's still a lot. To. So there is still a sense of um, mystery or the unknown about why lightning happens or what produces it or... Is that what you're you're kind of explaining? Yeah, I mean the the over the overarching theme is that you need ice in a cloud. It's just collisions between ice particles. So we know that if we see lightning coming coming out of a convective cloud, you know the big puffy thunderstorm cloud, that there's ice in it, and um, from there, because no one can really go up there and take a magnifying glass. Or microscope or whatever to look at it. So we we, we remote sense. We, what's what we call remote remotely sense it, mm-hmm. like using other types of technology mm-hmm. to kind of peek in there because we can't. We ourselves can't go in there. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were talking about people having experiences with weather growing up and that leading them into meteorology or atmospheric science, I saw Dennis laughing because I know Dennis is kind of a weather guy. Uh, what got you into being so interested in weather? I grew up in Garland, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas, Tornado Alley. That's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and me specifically, my dad was a, a dispatcher for an electric company, so he would have to go out while we were sheltering the bathtub during the most dangerous weather. I was fearing for my dad's life. Mm. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interested in weather, but never got in it. Saw a few tornadoes while we were here at A&M and some things like that, but it is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Scared the the heck out of me when I was a kid. Well, just real quick, I guess not too far from where you grew up. I was there for the Canton. I did not witness the Canton tornado, but hmm. I was there after the you know to see the aftermath because um, one of the parishes there took a direct hit, and that's the one that made national news because of the Blessed Virgin Mary mm. statue yes. that that was. Uh, Yes. You know, that was, I guess, pointing face down or something that it didn't get hurt, even though the rest of the church was basically Just demolished. Gone. Right. So I, remember I went that up photograph. there to visit with them. Yeah. Or did you really? Wow. And it was it was a weird experience having mass under a tent. But I mean, <sighs> they, they didn't they didn't stop. And I really admired that, you know, that parish. You of know, course. For, for, for that. Yeah. Of course. So you mentioned a Catholic parish. You mentioned the Blessed Virgin Mother. Um, and we talked this week, and you mentioned you are a convert to Catholicism. You grew up yes. in a different Christian tradition. So let's let's go back there. You had your, your grandmother who was talking to you about lightning being uh, God being at work. What, talk about your religious formation and your upbringing as a child. It was, it. I mean, there was no excuse to not be in church on Sunday. I mean, that that's how my grandmother ran her, her household. She she basically was my guardian, my caretaker mm-hmm. uh, growing up. And every Sunday and even before, like a service would be at 11 o'clock. And I just remember she that she would be up by 530 and, you know, getting getting just getting prepared, either making dinner for the day or breakfast or something like that. And then we would have to go to Sunday school. Me and my cousin would have to go to Sunday school 
at nine o'clock. And she would always say, well, you can't leave at nine and get there at nine. So yeah, by 6.30 or so, we were out of the bed, dressed and ready to go, even though it's like, you know, just be so much complaining, but you know, you're never going to win that. You're never <laughs> going to win that argument. But it was something that was instilled in me, um, you know, as, as, as early as I can remember. Mm-hmm. But um, one, one of the things I will share is that with the church that we had, and I don't know about, I'm still learning about my Catholic faith, but you, there would be a time during the, towards the end of service where, you know, the pastor would say the doors of the church are open. Anybody that wants to join can, can come in. And um, in 1977, I was about five years old and I said, I want to do this. You know, my grandmother didn't stand in the way. She was like, okay, um, go ahead if you want to do it. And I remember standing with all of these grown-ups, all these old folks, you know, and there's this little kid and everybody was clapping and whatnot. So I, I didn't know what to think of it. It's just I saw what they were doing. I wanted to do what they were doing. And how old were you at that time? No, I was five. five. I was actually five. Yeah. Five years old. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I had asked. I mean, I got her permission, and she said she said it's okay, you know, to, to do that. And the pastor was probably out of his shoes, you know, for seeing something like that. But mm-hmm. But it was that that's how it started. And then it's just been a long road. <laughs> I mean, it's not the journey's not over, definitely. But it's you know, that's that's where it started. And I always feel that it took that to get me to where I am today, because when I when I did inquire about Catholicism, wanting to, you know, be, be a convert, it really was an easy I don't want to say easy fix. I don't know what, what the good terminology is, but it was an easy transition because there were so many similarities what we did in Baptist faith. However, it, it came down to the the precious body and blood, how it was treated as a memorial and at service, but as an real as a real thing in in the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And I always believed, I really did, even as a kid, always believed that it was but we were not told to believe it. We weren't even um, pushed to believe it. It's just this is a memorial. Mm-hmm. And it was in the words of our covenant that we would have to say that it was a memorial. It is not the actual body and blood. Mm. But I'm like, well, why would we be, you know, my young, you know, science mind, you know, why would we eat it and drink it thinking that it is and then say that it isn't and it just a lot of things just didn't make sense so there was but you had that sense even as a as a boy as a child a young person that there there's something more here there should be something more here yeah and we're acknowledging yes i will always say be careful of kids like that because those are the annoying ones that you know you try to give them an answer and kind of shove them away and they never go away so yeah i was <laughs> i was definitely uh that, I, I was definitely that kid, and I love I love kids like that. But yeah, sometimes they can get annoying. <laughs> okay, so we're we're talking to Dr. Tim Logan. He's a professor of atmospheric science. You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio. I'm your host Thaddeus Romanski, and you uh, you head under a bed as a kid because you're scared of lightning. Your grandmother uh, raised you in the Southern Baptist tradition, yes, right? Yes. And where where did you grow up? Um, I, I lived in Virginia and, and the Bronx. I was I was okay. born in New York, so I spent my life, basically most of my young life, going back and forth between okay. both places. Okay, so you grew up on the East Coast, going back before, in forth between Virginia and the Bronx. Um, 
talk to me about what what is what were some of those steps that started to bring you along towards inquiring about the Catholic faith. It's it's every Christmas that we would that's the only time we would ever talk about um Joseph and Mary. And that's because of, uh-huh. you know, they're riding on the donkey, they're going to Bethlehem, Mary gives birth. We had these Christmas plays. Um I actually played pray, played a preacher <laughs> one <laughs> one year during during our church um play, but it it was just the curiosity that Joseph and Mary would only come up at Christmas, and mm. then you'd never hear about anything else. And I just was so curious as to who these people were and what role did they have. And I had Catholic friends and Catholic family, but never much interaction beyond that because I'm always going to service at Ebenezer Baptist Church mm-hmm. there, there in Alexandria. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just—I I never— got a sense of what was going on, and then that's it. So we would read Scripture. We would do the responsorial psalms and, um, you know, things like that, the Gospels, but then that was it. At Christmas, that's the only time, The only, not even at Easter, would mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, the Blessed Virgin. Mm-hmm. It, it was just always Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had that curiosity about the the Holy Family, and, and she seems like she's a really important part of the story, but she's only here at this one— one time, and you mentioned your curiosity about the Eucharist and that sense that it really was our Lord's body and blood. Is your interest in science, is your interest in the natural world also growing at this time as you're a young person? Well, I was, again, I was always told that it was God's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, I, it, they never, no one stop me from being into science. Like I was heavy into science just about all my life. And the the more I read the Bible, even when I was young or the more I heard it, the more things started making sense with the science. They were never at odds, which is why I don't appreciate when I hear talk of science and religion being at odd. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mm-hmm. It, it's it's right there. The first verse is basically the first law of thermodynamics. So if you want to really get you know nerdy or physical, that that's that's it. The energy can't be created or destroyed. That it's constant. And then here it is. God created the heavens and the earth. So He's not making any more. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's basically how you reconcile the two. And it's not that one proves the other. God created the heavens and the earth. I mean that that's it. And that's something that I heard ever since cradle. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a matter of just how can we fulfill? How can I use my you know knowledge of science to fulfill what's going on that God has already you know put together? And so you know I know that in some Christian traditions, some non-Catholic Christian traditions, there is a, a fundamentalist streak, or there's a only literal interpretation of of Scripture. Um, hermeneutic, right? Did Is that something that you encountered in your particular tradition? And did Catholicism's, uh, you know, view of the harmony of science and faith, or that the, the creation story is not at odds with the revelations of natural science, is that something that also drew you towards Catholicism? Right, right. And, and, to, to be clear, the Southern Baptist faith is is an established, you know, faith. Mm-hmm. There are, I guess, what is it, 40,000 separate 
religions that that are out there. But the a lot I would say that they did their homework in a lot of things and probably not in others. And just learning about the history, that's probably why they were one of the hated churches, you know, either even by Martin Luther, you know, so that uh, that. But anyway, not not to get into the weeds, but they did their homework enough to know that. Yeah, it's if it was six days creation or seven days creation, that the days are not what we would consider days. So mm-hmm. I never got into the weeds over if humans and dinosaurs like Fred Flintstone or something like that. No, we did not. I mean, that just was not heard of. Um, but it's always that God, you know, you pay attention more to the creator than, than the creation, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. that. That's how I was. That's how I was brought up. Had it been the other way around, I don't even know if I'd be sitting here right now. But mm. um, I probably believe that there's a flat Earth, and mm. not not to you know down any of those people. But you know, it's uh, we we didn't get into the weeds on that. We just always knew that God is the Creator, that He created everything, that His work, it's His work is His work. Okay, so how did you um, how did you talk about your your academic journey? How did you get into? How did you start studying? Uh, atmospheric science, and how did you end up uh, becoming a a researcher and a professor of that at A and M? I didn't. Um, again, it was a very uh, highly indirect route um, okay. that that brought me here. And I, when I graduated college, you know, the first time around, I just went to work in a, an environmental lab. Um, I had the idea that at at one point I wanted to teach school. Mm-hmm. And then maybe teach college, you know, a- after that. So I did not follow or pursue atmospheric science until I went back to graduate school. And it was, I, I got to be honest, you know, full disclosure, it was the whole climate change thing. And just the arrogance that certain people think that we can, you know, deflect the molecule and control the nature of the universe and the nature of the earth. And I just don't see how we can say things like that. It's just there's so much that more that we need to know about the atmosphere. Now, on a local level, definitely um, we can do things. But on a global scale, the earth is so big. <laughs> I mean, it's just the immenseness of it when you put the numbers together. So well, I, if I can know, jump in for just yeah. a second, I was uh, I learned something this morning when you explained that we still really don't understand how lightning forms. I would have expected that that was something that was was pretty well explained, you know, mechanically and chemically, but it sounds like that that's not and so that's an example of of how much there is that we we still don't know. Yes? Yes. Yeah, that that is correct. I mean, there's certain things that that are hidden to us. And I, you know, again, just the 5 second go off into the weeds or whatever, you know, when Newton and Galileo worked on the laws of gravity and even before them, you know, the ancient Greeks and there were other cultures that were playing around with that. So we came up with this idea that if you drop an object, it'll fall. But Einstein said that there is something that's emitting some force, some physical force that's attracting that object. But we can't see that. Right? We we don't we know that it's there, but we can't see it. So Newton proved, Newton and Galileo proved it by dropping objects and coming up with equations. But Einstein said, well, what is the thing that's actually happening? So we have the science behind, if, if I could give an example of climate change, we have the science behind why carbon dioxide does what it does. 
We just can't see the after effects of putting too much or too little or things like that. There's still a lot of research to be done with that. Mm. But the science is settled on why carbon dioxide does what it does or how it does what it does. So that that's that's what we're getting mixed up with, in my opinion. Okay, so you you were working in an environmental lab, and then you decided that because uh, you wanted to teach, uh, you would go back to graduate school. So is that when you went into graduate school in atmospheric science specifically? Specifically with the research topic that okay. my advisors had at the time, which is basically um, dust transport around the earth, how that affects solar radiation and cloud development. And then it just morphed back into lightning and storms because um, I kind of liked what I did as a grad student, but I really did love storm chasing. (laughs) And I had to convince my advisor that this was the better direction to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he helped me out a lot. Both, Both my advisors helped me out a lot. Okay. And so when did you finish your PhD? In 2014. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, and that's when you came here to Texas A&M? They, they were hiring and um, by the grace of God, yeah, I'm sitting here in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you get to Bryan College Station. You come from, where did you do your PhD work? In North Dakota, Grand oh. uh, University of North Dakota. Okay, so I'm, the, I'm the last fighting Sioux. <laughs> <laughs> so you had already gone from the Bronx and Virginia, the East Coast to, then you spent several years in North Dakota. Dakota, Now you come down to Texas, to central Texas. Um, What was that like moving here? And how did you find out about St. Mary's? And and what was that like to to become a part of the St. Mary's Catholic Center? I I did a little bit of homework before. Once I got uh, the the notice that I was hired, um, I was part of the Newman Center a permanent parishioner on, on on campus at uh, University of North Dakota. They had a, okay. a, a Newman Center. I, um, this is this is not a Newman Center here, but it reminded me yes. so much of it that it was a great way to just continue what I was doing and keep growing because yes. there there was some ebbs and flows in in my faith. And by the time I had graduated, I actually invited um, my priest, Father Leffer, to my dissertation. That's great. So, I, I mean, I, it's just no way that I could, you know, not, I could not have Jesus present, you know, yes. in, in, in some way. Yes. But when I got here to find that there was this big, vibrant uh, community, student community, more vibrant than I've ever seen. And I was glad to be a part of that, like to just continue it and to become a parishioner here and to see so many professors, even in my own department. Mm. Um, there, there's a lot of professors here, which I did not see in North Dakota and most certainly didn't see back east. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I skipped over some things because when you were at North Dakota, you were already a member of the Newman Center there. So when did you become Catholic and, and kind of tell us the some of the specific steps that finally led you from your Southern Baptist tradition into the Catholic Church? Well, I, I was basically in between religions, if that, if I can say something like that, um, okay. for a while. Uh, one, once I got to about, and this is, you know, for any of the teenagers that are listening, you know, that, that walk through the desert is very real. And I think everybody goes through that walk. It's just how long you spend. So by the time I was about 15, my grandmother was already aging, and she did not push me out of bed as much as she did 
when I was younger. And, you know, it's a it's a sense of regret that that I'll always carry with me, even though things are a lot better now spiritually. But I just always feel like that was a wasted time. So mm-hmm. between 15 and 30, I was basically um, without without a spiritual home. And that's when I had uh, converted in 2000. My coworker actually introduced me, Phil- Filipino family who adopted me. They're, they're, my, grand, they're, they're my godparents. Mm. And I just asked about the Catholic faith. I, was, I guess I was finally ready. And they told me about RCIA. And the bad thing was, you know, my, my stupid timing, when I asked about it, RCIA was done. So I had to wait an entire year <laughs> to uh, actual. So it was before then. And um, I had to wait a year. But I took the classes. I mean, I stuck with it. And, you know, just no regrets ever, ever since. So before, that was before I started teaching and before I went back to grad school is, is, is when I converted. It was just a you know, fortuitous circumstance that I had good friends who took me in as their own and then showed me, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to take certain classes and they were weekly. And somehow I had to, you know, make the classes and work and, you know, and things like that. But I I just, there was no turning back at that point. And so you were already in graduate school at that point. Is that right? Oh, no, no, no. No, no. I was, I was still working. This was, I think this was the first year that I actually started teaching high school. Okay. Okay. So you were a high school teacher and what the example of the the Filipino family their um their personal love to you was was that a, a key thing that that drew you t- to the faith oh, oh or was it more it, of an intellectual journey no or some combination way. this this was this was people that really treated me and i was a good maybe 15 years older than their oldest kids and they really did treat me like I was their kid Mm -hmm. and I was invited to just about every family function that they had, which, you know, unfortunately for me was always in Tagalog. So I had to, (laughs) I had to pick up a few phrases and I don't, don't ask me to speak it now, but I will recognize Tagalog anytime I hear it. But it was, it was amazing just how how we bonded, you know, through, through, through that. And I still keep in contact with them for sure. But, um, it's, they they are my my actual godparents. Wow. So was it that was some that was a relationship that you had to leave behind when you went to North Dakota for your your PhD work, correct? Yeah, and that was difficult. That was tough. I'm sure. Um and you know, I I'll tell you the story real quick, you know, just the miracles that happened. They, they again, they were they weren't they were middle I say middle-aged um when when we first met and started hanging out. And um I remember um, Conchita is is the co-work, my, my co-worker, and she was telling me about she had a secret to tell me or something. And it was some something medical, and I kind of joked to say, oh, you must be pregnant or something, right? And she just started laughing, and it was it was something else. You know, I don't need to divulge, but <laughs> two years after that, she actually did end up getting—they they had a late blessing. Her and her husband had oh, a wow. late blessing, so it's <laughs> like— you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, that that's a family thing that really that you can joke around. And then, oh, my gosh, you know, you really are having a kid. And mm-hmm. the daughter just graduated Georgetown. So, yeah, wow. they, uh, you know, they, they, they're a great family. I mean, I, I don't I could not have done this without them. And then the people they introduced me to and then, you know, just went down the line. So I think that's a great place to maybe pause and just say your life experience would say to. Catholic families who are listening, 
uh, how important it is to, or what a difference they can make when they open their family, when they open their homes to other members of the of the parish, maybe students that they know, um, permanent parishioners here at St. Mary's, for example, or St. Peter's in, at Baylor, making yourselves available to students and young people and letting them see the inner life of your family, how, how transformative that can be. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's, and it's not to say that my family wouldn't open their doors. I mean, my grandmother opened the door to just about anybody. Sure, sure. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I lament over this so much is because of what you miss having the fullness of the faith with the Catholic mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. but you're actually doing what Jesus is, you know, commanding you to do. And, you know, I, I do believe that she, if she's not already in a good place, she will be. But to see that in other families, that that's what I seek out because there's so much consumption in the world that we consume each other, mm. that we're not opening our doors unless there's something, you, you know, what can you do for me? Right. Instead of just opening your door, giving from what, what you have, not just your excess, just giving from what you have. Yeah. And the people I hang around with now, that's all they do. So I just gravitate towards that. And, and I learn from that as, as well. And I'm sure that that Conchita and her family were, were blessed by having you as a part of, of their life. It wasn't a one-way street. Oh, no, no, no. It, 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 was, it was not. I mean, they did get a chance to come to Texas a couple of years ago. Great. And, and they were like, well, is, is San Antonio really far from you? And I'm like, I will be there in a couple of hours. And it's, if there's no cops on the road, I'll be there even faster. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, because they think of Texas is, I mean, it is a large state. But yes. I mean, yeah, San Antonio. Yeah, I can, I can do San Antonio. I could do El Paso, you, right. know, if it, you know, for them. So right. I was happy to, you know, because that's the first time we actually hung out in years, probably since uh, I left New Jersey. So okay. it, it was you know, it's one of those things. Like I said, th- those are the ties that bind. Yes, yes. Well, as we're we're wrapping up here with about ten minutes, uh, we're talking with Dr. Tim Logan in the Department of Atmospheric Science here at Texas A and M, and he's a permanent parishioner at St. Mary's Catholic Center in College Station. This is Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Thaddeus Romanski. Uh, we're live. You can call in eight five Love Red Sea eighty eight five five six eight three seven three three two if you wanted to. Ask Dr. Logan a question. Um, so you got here to Texas A&M. You've become, you're a member of the Department of Atmospheric Sciences. And I don't think anyone who's listening is under any illusions about, um, in general, in general, higher education, uh, academia is not necessarily the most friendly place to people of faith, or at least that's the perception of people on the outside looking in. Um could take this in a couple of direction, you know, different directions. If you wanted to speak about the culture at Texas A&M broadly, uh, what's that like for a person of faith? Uh, or if you wanted to talk about why or why not, uh, how, how, how could the sciences be made more uh, amenable to, to people of faith? Or is that a, is that a misperception from people on the outside? Any, any direction you want to, you want to take that in? I, I think there's just still, you know, the, the misinformation that there's this battle or war between science and religion. And, um, I, I've never personally been attacked for my faith, um, pr- practically anywhere that, that I've been only because back East, 
we have, you know, a healthy population of Catholics and, and Jewish, you know, uh, faith. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never really attack people. And here, there's a healthy population of Catholics, Protestants, you know. So it's one of those things that, you know, maybe if it were Berkeley or, you know, just, just throwing universities out there, that, that there might be some tension. But it, it really is just a misunderstanding that if somebody says, somebody famous, and I, I won't name names, but if somebody famous says that, oh, yeah, Galileo and the Pope had these, you know, fights or things like that, and then you actually do a little bit of homework and you find out that it really, it was a complete, they, they were both knuckleheads. I'll just, you know, just <laughs> just say that. And they, and they, and they Galileo died as a strong man of faith, mm-hmm. and the Holy Father, you know, put, put buried the hatchet. They never really had any problems. So... You can start, you know, with, with, with that, but it's where, what standpoint do you come from that man has the capacity to know everything and make things or God created the heavens and the earth? That's where it really, what side do you sit on? It really is a binary thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, you know, my, my, my opinion. And it's, it sounds like to me, you are a, an example of someone not not finding uh, at any point in your academic career or in your research something where, uh-oh, this is incompatible with my, with my religious convictions or with my faith, or I have to not you know, go down this road of, of uh, trying to find the, the natural explanation for something because of my religious commitments. That's, that's not what, what you are under the burden of as a Catholic Right. right, right. And if it ever did, I mean, and just real quick, um, that God actually did this to me um, as a grad student, made me choose between him and where I was going in life because I was being a bit obstinate, got into some issues with um, other students. And I, I figured that I would be able to just crush them under my feet and keep going. And God <laughs> said, well, you can do that. Or you can do, you can walk the path that I chose for you. Mm. And it just, it was a no brainer to just follow what he says. If I get fired for saying something, I get fired for saying something. But anybody that's ever had my class, I'm coming with data. I'm coming with facts. I'm coming with the Holy Spirit because that, that, that's all I got. That's a deadly combination. It, 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 it is. I mean, but just so much that I've seen in my life. Since or a no, lively com- no, combination, I should say yeah. it's a lively combination. Oh, li- oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, <laughs> not a deadly combination. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's cool. It's cool. It's just from what I've seen, you know, wisdom of the saints. I mean, today is a very you know saintly day with the Fatima children, and mm-hmm. I just my heart always goes to them that if they can spend the night in jail for their faith and you know ridicule and all these other things, I mean. It's just whatever happens, happens. Um, I'm still amazed that I'm here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not supposed, I always feel I'm not supposed to be here. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, that's that's where the faith part comes in. And then mm-hmm. the knowledge part, I'm still learning. There's mm-hmm. still a lot to know. Oh, sure, sure. You, now, you mentioned the Fatima children. You've mentioned the Blessed Mother several times. Um, would you say that, that you have an attachment to... To Mary, do you have a, a deep devotion to her? Is that something that uh, maybe goes back to your curiosity as a little boy about who who is 
this Mary and Joseph, who are they? And, and you've been able to develop that over, over time. Right. I didn't realize a curiosity would become a devotion, but (laughs) that, I mean, that, that's how, that's how it is. And this is just recent. Like I said, it, it's just, I never heard the story of Fatima until 2013. Mm. And again, another good friend who invited me to a Catholic talk on the 13th day and just, it opened my eyes, and that led to Divine Mercy, and then Divine Mercy led to my uh, devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So all of these things, mm. that that just one thing leads to another. I just wish that it could have happened a lot faster, <laughs> that it didn't take so long, but you know, now I'm learning God's time, right? That's yeah. another thing that yeah. I have to have in my heart, that everything happens on His time, and you just have to have faith. There's an interesting connection with... Our Lady of Fatima that uh, occurs to me. It has a it has an atmospheric science aspect to it with the with the miracle of the sun. Is that something that have you looked into the some of the natural explanations for what happened? I mean, have you have you investigated that miracle? I, I gave this talk at St. Thomas Aquinas. They have a uh, an adult RE, I, I believe, after the eight thirty uh, mass. Yeah, yeah, they do. And mm-hmm. we we discussed this that. You could calculate a lot of physical things, and none of them make sense. <laughs> Just none of them, none of them do. But seventy thousand, number one, seventy thousand people can't be wrong. Number two, since God created everything, He can do basically whatever He wants. We we have the data and the science to try to explain what happens, but when you apply it, none of it makes any sense at all. I mean, just real quick, there's no way that it can rain. You have the miracle of the dancing sun and the people that were kneeling as it was happened. Then it went away. Everything dried up, including the people. And the amount of energy that that would take would vaporize the planet. So it's just you 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 look at it and you're like, okay, just chalk it, it up to a it had been raining, miracle. right? It had been raining and it, muddy it before It was the... raining and muddy, yes. Yes. And they were kneeling. They were kneeling. A lot of them were praying a rosary. And... Yeah, as soon as it was all over, everything was dry, including the people, their clothes, everything. This is documented. Everything is documented. And there's and for it to have happened in that amount of time, there's the the amount of energy necessary would have would have vaporized. It, it would have vaporized the earth. I mean, I'm just going to embellish right now and just say, yeah, the whole earth would have been vaporized. I mean, there's just so much energy that it would have taken wow. to, to to doing that. Wow. But it's it's just again. We, we can figure out the science. We just have to have the faith behind it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yet another reason to be amazed by the, the miracle of the sun. Wow, thank you for that, Tim. Um, okay, so we got about two minutes left. Um, what's it like, what's it mean to be a permanent parishioner here at St. Mary's with that beautiful church coming up? You've, you've, you must feel like you've been a part of you know, helping to make that happen and to helping to to sustain this community here. Uh, and as a new Catholic, you're coming up on your your ten year anniversary of joining the church. That will be 2024, right? If I've been listening to my dates correctly, for, for that, yeah, yeah. Um, talk to us about about that. Just becoming a uh, getting settled here at St. Mary's and being a part of of this kind of seeing this next phase uh, of life. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be part of the community. I'm glad to see students. Um, they, they actually feel a lot better when they see familiar faces. Mm-hmm. And I feel better seeing them, you know, at, at mass. Yeah. So whatever I can do, you know, either from, from my profession, 
and just to come in and thank all of the priests for for their blessings, their absolution for sure, but all their blessings, you know, for for helping me through that and whatever I can do to give back, you know, to pay forward, mm-hmm. help other students, and maybe those students can get other students to start showing up at mass. Maybe they've fallen away like I did, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all a family here. So that that's what I want to keep going, do my part in keeping that going. And with this new church that I'm seeing here, yeah, it'll be great. We can do this at the old church too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tim Logan, uh, scientist, convert, evangelist, long overdue interview. So glad that you came on with us. Thanks for being with us today. This has been Thaddeus Romanski on Red Sea Roundup. Uh, we encourage you to keep listening and to keep praying. We'll see you next time. Talking, I'm